some of you are probably really surprised not to see Pastor Brent up here. Um, I'm sorry. <laughs> well, come back next week. Um, there is a couple things, orders of business I like to do before we start. Now, the first thing I want to do is I want to take a picture on my phone of you people. Um, but what I need you to do before you get comfortable, and we'll just take one, but I want you to kind of lean forward. Oh, I can't. I'm not used to having, a, I'm used to having a lapel mic. We need you to lean forward and put your, like, arms on the chair in front of you like you're sleeping. Okay? So just kind of lean forward like you're sleeping. Okay? You know, we don't want to see any faces, just heads bowed. Okay. Let me see if I can get the picture to take. One, two, three. daughter Annie is going to come forward and uh, we're she's going to send it she's going to send a text message to Brent uh, with that picture knowing how much we need him okay but now I want to take a couple more pictures but this time this time I need you to look excited I need smiles on your faces. If you have your Bibles, if you have your Bibles, like hold them up so we can see them. You know, like have them open like you're looking at them, like you're really intent on what's happening. Okay? So what we did, and what I'll do is I'll probably take three pictures, one here, one here. Okay, everybody look excited. Come on, Jane, you can do better than that. All right. All right, are we ready? One, two, three. Oops, let me get the flash ready. All right, here we go. One, two. Two, three. There we go. All right, let's do it. Okay, that, okay, that turned out pretty good. Ready, everybody in the center, ready? All right, good. One, two, three. Hey, this turned out better than I thought. One, two, oh yeah, everybody over here. Come on, guys. Come on, get with it. Everybody, look, there we go. That's good. One, two, three. Okay, good. Now, you may wonder why I do that. Um, when I travel, I take pictures of the group because my kids don't believe that anybody would actually ask me to speak. So I do it as, I kind of do it as proof. But I started doing it years ago, and, and, and now I do it because I have all these pictures of, of, these, of groups of people. You know, sometimes it's five or ten, and sometimes more than that. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to put them all up on a wall in my office, and I'm going to pretend like I'm Billy Graham. I'm not quite there yet, you know, as far as number of pictures, but I'm working on it, so thank you. Um, I, I also want to say that uh, my daughter had visited U-City Family Church just after they had started, and she came and, and she told Shirley and I, my wife, that uh, she thought found a church she thought we'd enjoy. And so we came one Sunday and throughout the service, and we came in, and when we left, you know, like you do as visitors, you kind of talk about what went on. And so, I mean, this, I'll be very honest with you, she, we walk out and it's like, you know, it's in a theater and it's kind of dark and, you know, the music was, was kind of loud for us, we're a little older, you know, and so, you know, and so, and then it's like, well, what did you think? Well, that was fantastic. And we loved it. And after that first Sunday, we've been here ever since. And one of the reasons we've come back hit me this past week as I was preparing for this morning. We'll get into that in a little bit. But right now, uh, I'd like to invite Claude to come forward and pray for our service.
First of all, since I know Craig, I think it's okay for me to say this. When he said something about being old, when he mentioned putting those pictures on the wall and Billy Graham and he didn't say Facebook or anything, we kind of figured. <laughs> if, if you would lift your hearts to the Lord. Father, we just thank you so much for your grace, your love, and your kindness. We pray that our hearts would be pliable today and receptive to your word. We thank you in advance for blessing Craig with the word and using him in Jesus' name. Amen. Shirley, I need you to make a note that next time that I should use Facebook and maybe Joel Osteen or Rick Warren or somebody, those of you that don't know Billy Graham, you can Google him. Uh, when I was a kid, I was all about baseball. That was really all I cared about. Uh, I'm not sure just when it, it changed for me, but I was all about baseball. That's all I cared about. That's all I wanted to do with my life was play baseball. And I'd like to be humble, but I feel for your sake I need to be honest. Um, I was pretty good. <laughs> I was probably better than average. Um, but because of decisions and just the way life works, um, I never really got the opportunity to play baseball, but because I had worked so hard at it as a kid and played so hard, I had a very competitive spirit. I mean, it was all about winning. Now, I would never say that it was win at any cost. I would never say that I would bend the rules just for the sake of winning. Others might have said that about me, but, but I'd never say that about myself. And Something interesting happened in the spring of 1977. Shirley and I had been married a couple of years. We had our first child, Zach, who's here this morning. And uh, my brother, who's four years older than me, called me, and he said that he and some of his friends were getting together a softball team. What I want to play. Well, I'd rather play baseball, but this was, seemed like a good opportunity, so I said, sure. We were the worst softball team in the history of softball. We may have been the worst team in organized sports ever. We, we were so bad, we were entertaining. And, and what I mean by that is when we played in a YMCA league, and I don't know if any of you ever played softball in a YMCA league, but at those games, you know, you'd have the players there and maybe a few spouses, and, and you know, that was about it. There were more people definitely on the field playing the game than there were watching them. But after teams started playing us, they started bringing their families. It started to be, we were entertainment because we were so bad. And let me describe a couple of the players. We had two players at our first practice that when we told them to play a position, they had no idea what we were talking about. I mean, I'm serious. We would say, see that pole out there? You walk towards that pole, and we when we holler at you, you turn around. That's right field. Because they did not know. We had one person who two years earlier had been uh, gotten a mental discharge out of the Navy. He wasn't violent, but he was crazy. Um, the only good thing is he was pretty intimidating at first base. You'd, they'd get a hit, and as they ran towards first base, he looked kind of scary. Uh, we had another person who had been AWOL from the Army for about four years when we started the team. I'm not sure if it was the second or third year he got arrested, was taken to some place on the East Coast, 
of which he escaped, came back and played softball for us until he was caught again. <laughs> then he was given a dishonorable discharge out of the Army, uh, and that can even be a longer story. Several of the players were recreational drug users, maybe even more than that, heavy drinkers, but we were so bad. Now, we should have known from the practices, but our first game, let me tell you what happened our first game. We're playing up in North St. Louis, and we're, I don't know how many runs we were down at the fourth inning, but we were down enough runs to where the game was going to be over. It was going to be done, run ruled. We scored enough runs in the bottom of the fourth to play the fifth inning. We scored enough runs in the fifth inning to play the sixth inning. We scored enough runs in the sixth inning to play the seventh inning. It's the bottom of the seventh inning. I don't remember how it happened. We had the bases loaded. There were two out. One of our players, I'll call him Richard, comes up to bat. There are three of us on the team who have played organized ball that know a little bit about what we're doing. And we gather around Richard as he's going up to bat, and we say, Richard, do not swing the bat. And that's our instructions. You'll either walk or strike out. We can live with that. Richard, don't swing the bat. Just stand there. Bases loaded, two out. The pitches come. Richard stands there. I mean, he doesn't even look like he has any intention of swinging, which is fine with us. He's standing there with the bat on his shoulder watching the pitches go by. The count goes to three and two. The three of us are standing at the fence behind the ump, say, don't swing, don't swing. The pitch comes. And we can tell, standing where we were, the pitch was going to be inside. And we're excited because Richard walks, the top of the order comes up. And all we need is, if he walks, that's the tying run, all we need is one more run, and we've won our first game. Pitch comes in, it's inside, Richard's standing there, he ducks, so the ball doesn't hit him in the head. Some of you are laughing, you know what happened. The ball hits the bat, behind his head, goes foul. Now in this league, a foul ball on the third strike is an out. The umpire looked at the ball in foul territory and looked up at Richard. He looks down at the ball, he looks up at Richard. And he turns around to us standing behind him as if he is sorry. <laughs> he looks down and he just kind of mutters, strike three, game over. And we're all just like, well, he didn't swing the bat. He and we should have known that that was a prophecy of, of what was going to happen. Because the name of our team, we called ourselves, or maybe others called us, I'm not sure. The name of the team was the Coneheads. And we were that bad. Our goal, we played together seven years, and there were always guys coming and going, you know, prison or whatever, you know, those types of things. Uh, the team was always changing. Our goal every year was to win one game. Between the spring and the fall league, we'd play about 18 games. We got to win one. The miraculous thing was we always won at least one game. You know, so why do I tell that story? Because something happened in 1977 at that first game, driving home from that first game. I had a paradigm shift. You know, a, a paradigm is kind of how you see things, your perspective, and, and the filter that you use to see things through. And I had been very, very competitive. 
I think that years earlier, I probably would have quit a team that was that bad. But I learned that night that winning wasn't everything, that it was important to have fun, to be able to enjoy the game for the sheer enjoyment of the game, not just the winning. And I could go out and I could be competitive, but we could have fun together. And it got to the point where we enjoyed people watching us, and we were no longer embarrassed. We were having fun. Now, let me, let me ask you a question. Do you believe that God has the power to change lives? So you do a little bit. Okay. But more than God changing lives, I think God changes us so that we see things differently. And his spirit has the power to come in and take control of our lives to change our perspective, to change the way we see things, to make paradigm shifts in our lives so that we can serve him in a greater capacity. Now, when Shirley and I first married, we lived in Oregon, Illinois, and uh, there's a castle up there. It's called Strongholds Castle, and it was built by a, a wealthy family during the Depression, and it's built as a castle, and it, it's a beautiful place, and they have a, a great room that is just a huge room with a walk-in fireplace, and it's just a magnificent room, and at one end of this great room hangs a beautiful tapestry. I mean, there's threads and fabric, and it's just a beautiful, colorful tapestry. And it hangs probably a foot and a half, maybe two feet out from the wall. And so when you look at it from inside the room, it's absolutely gorgeous. But when you step back and kind of look at the wall and look up at the backside, it's just a jumbled mess of threads. I mean, it doesn't make any sense. It's just confusion. I think oftentimes we look at our lives and we see the confusion. We see the problems. We see the circumstances. We see where we're at. Maybe we're not happy with the way things are. And and we see our lives as that jumbled mess that doesn't make any sense. But God sees your life from the other side. He sees your life as a beautiful tapestry. He is working in your life to make you what he needs you to be in the situations that you encounter. Philippians 1.6 says, He who began a good work in you will see it through until the day of completion of Jesus Christ. God's at work in you. And you say, wait, wait a minute. My life isn't the kind of life God can work with. Yes, it is. God works in your lives. And, and today we're going to talk about Acts chapter 10. Now, I want to say I'll be brief. You know what it means when, the, when a speaker says I'll be brief? Nothing. It, mean, it means absolutely nothing. So, but I will tell the story quickly of Acts chapter 10. Okay, and Then we'll kind of look at it. As we begin, though, I do have a gift for everybody. Uh, and so we have some volunteers that have uh, graciously volunteered. Uh, and they've got a little gift from you. Actually, what they're going to give you is a little, little Ziploc bag with a vitamin in it. Okay, and it's just a vitamin. Don't think of it as anything else. It's just a vitamin. And what I'd encourage you to do is just to keep it this next week with you or put it someplace where you'll see it as a reminder. And I'll explain more at at the end of the service why I've given you uh, each a vitamin. It's just one little pill in a baggie. You may want to be discreet. I, I will tell you that if you get arrested for it, uh, and it's tested, it will show up as a vitamin, you'll be out before bail. So 
that's the good news. Now, in Acts chapter 10, we have an amazing story. And Acts chapter 10 is a fulfillment of a prayer Jesus prayed in John 17. Okay, so I don't know if maybe you've never put these together. In John chapter 17, Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he's praying for his disciples. And in John chapter 17, along around verse 21, Jesus says this. I'm not only praying for these, meaning his disciples, I'm praying for all those that will hear the word because of them. You were prayed for. In the upper room on the night Jesus was betrayed, he prayed for you. Because every one of us is a result of that prayer. Jesus, Jesus prayed for his disciples and everyone who would come to faith, who would come to the word of God because of those disciples. And because the disciples were faithful, they led another generation to the Lord. And because those people were faithful, they led another generation to the Lord. And we, every one of us here, can trace our lineage back to that prayer in the upper room. Because we're the result that Jesus prayed. Well, Jesus said that prayer, and now everyone who comes to faith comes because Jesus prayed for them. And the prayer that Jesus prayed was that everyone would be one with him. And I think the, the prayer actually goes something like, Father, I pray not only for these, but all these that will come to the word because of you, that they may be one, Father, as you are in me and we are one. May they be in us that we may be one together. John chapter 13 says, they'll know we're Christians because we love each other. They'll be convinced of our message, John 17 says. They'll be convinced of our message because of our unity. When Shirley and I came to U City Family Church the first time we left, and it was one of the first times we had been in a church where we felt there was love and there was unity. Amen. Give yourselves a hand. People that are here. Because... You're the answer to prayer, and it's working. So in Acts chapter 10, this prayer of Jesus is being answered. Cornelius is a, a Roman soldier, and he is, as a centurion, he is the uh, leader of about 100 Roman soldiers. He is what some people would say is a man's man. He is a strong leader, a, an officer in the Roman army that is occupying Israel at the time. But he was also known among the Jews and everyone in the community as a compassionate person, as a person who had a great reputation among the soldiers and among the Jews in, land he, in the land he was occupying. And, and so one day he is praying, and it's, it's about 3 o'clock in the afternoon, and he's praying, and he gets this message from an angel that says, look, I want you to send men to go down to Joppa, find a guy by the name of Peter, and tell him to come here. So Cornelius, after having received this message, he takes two of his servants and one of his soldiers, sends them the 40, 50 miles down to Joppa to look for Peter. So they go the next day, as they're approaching Joppa, looking for Peter, Peter's hungry, he goes up on a rooftop and he starts praying. And it's, the Bible says it's about noon, and he's praying, and he sees this vision. And the vision is uh, something like a sheet being lowered out of the sky, and on the sheet are all these animals. And all of the animals would be deemed as unclean. Now, by unclean, Jewish had, the Jews had very, very strict dietary laws and regulations. And so they were only allowed to eat certain animals and insects and fish. And everything on the sheet 
was unclean. It was against their being able to eat them because of their Jewish dietary laws. And so the sheets lower down, and a voice says, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. You're hungry. Kill and eat something. Peter protests. No, I'm a Jew. I know the laws. I've never eaten anything that's common or unclean. The vision happens again. The sheet comes down. The voice says, rise and eat. Three times, Peter protests. At about that time, in this state of confusion, there's a knock at the door. Here's three guys that show up. And when they knock, Peter gets a word from God saying, hey, these guys have come here to you. You know, do what they ask. So Peter goes down, he greets them, and he lets them in. They spend the night with Peter, and the next day they travel to see Cornelius. Now, folks, we just raced over an important part. We'll come back to it in a second. But that, what you just heard, is paradigm shifting. It's earth-shattering. So is what happens next. Peter takes six of his friends with him, accompanies the three men back to Cornelius. When he gets to Cornelius' house, he goes in. Cornelius falls as if to worship Peter. Pete gets up and says, no, wait a minute. I'm just a man. And Pete then starts to, prepare, to proclaim the gospel. And Cornelius and this great group of people that have gathered together at his house hear the word of God. And as Pete describes what Jesus did and tells them that through Jesus there is forgiveness of sin, the Holy Spirit falls on this group of people. And it's evident that God is touching their lives. And when Peter sees this, he, he says, oh, the Holy Spirit has, has fallen on them just like the Holy Spirit fell on us when we believed. And how can we prevent these people from being baptized, and they're baptized. Fantastic story. Now, what we breezed over a little bit is the fact that Peter was a good Jew. We mentioned that, but, but Cornelius was a Roman citizen, a Roman soldier, and he was a Gentile. Now, the Jews believed they were the chosen people, that they had special favor from God. If you were not a Jew, you were a Gentile. And if you were a Gentile, you were not part of the Jews. You were not included in the promises that God made to Abraham. You were an outcast from the faith. When Peter, when Peter invited his guests to come in, he violated Jewish law. So let's look at, at a couple verses from Acts chapter 10. Understand that that first phrase from Acts 10.23, so he, Peter, invited them in as his guest, was, was earth-shattering. A Jew was welcoming Gentiles into his home. Folks, that wasn't done. As soon as that was done, Peter became, or, or came under the condemnation of the Jewish community. And you know what it was included in the Jewish community? The church, because the church at that time, the people were coming to faith in Jesus Christ, were all Jews. And so the mindset was that to be a Christian, to become a part of this movement, you had to be a Jew. And Peter invited Gentiles into his house. Well, then it goes on to say that when Peter entered, Cornelius met him, fell down at his feet and worshipped him, but Peter lifted him, stand up too, I'm just a man. 
Not only did Peter invite Gentiles into his house, he went into a Gentile's house. It says there was a great group there, so he couldn't even deny it. There were lots of witnesses. Folks, I hope you understand how devastating this was to the people of that time. The Gospels preached, Cornelius and the boys accept Jesus, they're baptized. If the story were to end there, we'd be good. I mean, it's still earth-shattering. But what happens, well, let me ask you, what's after Acts chapter 10? Chapter 11, good, thank you very much. Good, it wasn't a trick question. In Acts chapter 11, Peter now has to go back to Jerusalem to explain what happened. And when the news reaches Jerusalem, they attack Peter. Peter, how could you do this? You did something that is forbidden for us to do. And Peter tells the story. And the interesting thing in Acts chapter 11 is Peter doesn't tell the story about Cornelius. Cornelius isn't mentioned. He tells the story about Gentiles who received the Holy Spirit and were baptized. How can we prevent them? So that if we look at the next verse, the next slide. Here was, Jesus, here was Pete's message. To him all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit, Spirit fell on, who, on all who heard the word. The Holy Spirit comes. There's no denying that God is working in the Gentiles. Peter tells the story to the church. And if you look at Acts chapter 11, it's an amazing verse. Because once Peter tells the story, it says they fell silent. Peter tells the story to the church, the leaders of the church at that time, of what happened to this group of Gentiles. It says they fell silent. Just like this. The only sound that could be heard was paradigm shifting, was perspectives changing. It was hearts opening. Because it says after they fell silent... They praised God for opening the door to the Gentiles. Folks, it's an amazing story. Acts chapter 10 is the the fulfillment of Jesus praying for the, the following generations. And Peter proclaims the word to the Gentiles. And as the Gentiles receive, they receive the Holy Spirit, they're touched. So now Gentiles start touching Gentiles. And Jews are touching Jews. And you know what happened to the church? It got messy. Because prior to this, if it's all Jews, they, could, they share the same traditions. But now we've got Gentiles. they got you guys coming in. You guys. And now you're bringing your thoughts and your impressions and your perspectives into the church. And it gets messy. But you know what happens? Because of the different perspectives, because of the different backgrounds, the gospel is preached to more generations. In Acts chapter 1, it says, you'll be my witnesses in, Judea, in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the uttermost parts of the earth. And that prophecy of Jesus Christ in Acts 1.8 is being fulfilled. And Acts chapter 10 is a direct fulfillment where we look at it and say, this is the day the world changed. This is the day that I was welcomed into the family of God. The doors were open to where it doesn't matter what the differences are in your history, what matters is that Jesus has come into your life. Amen? 
Now, let me tell you, if it were to stop right there, we'd be good. We could rejoice in it. But I think that God gives us scripture, not just so we can look back and say, wow, what a tremendous event, but so that we can look at it and say, God, where am I in the story? I mean, I've been welcomed into the family, but where I am with, with Pete and Cornelius and this group of people? Let me tell you something. Here's, here's what impressed me about the story. You know, maybe, maybe you've been a Christian for a long time. You know the Lord. You're close to him. You, you study. You pray. You meet with other believers. But there are people out there who need your touch that need you to reach out to them, that need to hear your testimony, that need to understand your faith. And I think through this story, God is challenging people who are kind of like Peter, who are in the faith, to recognize that there are people out there who need to hear the message. And then maybe you're like Cornelius. You're a good person. You're seeking the Lord. You don't, you know, you've got a ways to go and you're unsure of yourself. And you need to reach out to somebody else, to, to invite them into your life, to help you grow, to help you learn, to help you study, to, to, to be a mentor and counselor and, and to help you grow in the Lord. And then there's some of you that, that are out there and, and you maybe have heard about Jesus, understand some things about Jesus, but you don't know him personally. You've never asked him into your heart. And you need to reach out to somebody to help you understand more, to hear the testimonies of how God can come into a life and change it to his glory and to his praise. So wherever you're at, I just want you to think about this for a second. Just think about, where am I? Who is it that I need to reach out to? Do I need to reach out to people who need to hear my testimony? who need to be strengthened and encouraged in the Lord? Am I a person that I need that encouragement? I need to reach out and invite people into my life so that I can be encouraged. Do I need to know the Lord Jesus Christ in a new and special and different way and who I need to talk to somebody who can invite that will help me understand this Jesus? Now, folks, you have connection cards. And if you have a prayer, you can write something on there. If you need to reach out, please fill out the connection cards. I want to tell you, a few months ago, I was talking to somebody after service, and they explained the situation. I said, did you fill out a connection card? He said, no, I didn't have a pen. Folks, if you got a connection card and you need to reach out and you don't have a pen, ask somebody. For the love of God, don't leave this place with something on your heart not expressed. When, when Jesus talked to Cornelius and the people gathered, he said, well, that's not what I was expecting. He said that they understood the forgiveness of God. You come here and you have the opportunity to be forgiven. And it doesn't matter if you've been a Christian for a long time, you stand forgiven. It doesn't matter if you are new to the faith, you've been forgiven. It doesn't matter if you've never accepted Jesus Christ, you have the opportunity to be forgiven. Folks, it, you cannot, I, I heard this, uh, this quote one time, and I don't remember who it's from, but the quote goes something like, you can't go back and start again, but you can start from here and make a brand new end. Because God comes into your life to take it, to change it, 
And because Cornelius answered the call of God, the gospel came to the Gentiles. And because the gospel came to us, we have the responsibility to take it to others. And we think, I can't do that, but here's the deal. Jesus in John chapter 17 prayed for you. And if Jesus is praying for you, there's nothing impossible. Because he who began a good work will see it through until the day of completion. Let's bow for prayer. Father, we come before you and we're in various stages of life. Uh, you know the hearts and the minds of each one here, and, and by your spirit, you're able to speak to us, to come into our presence, and, and to nudge our hearts, to work in our minds, to, to change the paradigms and the perspectives. Father, work in our lives that we may do that. Father, if there are those of us who need to reach out to others, Father, put people on our hearts and, and, and a burden for people that we may reach out. Father, if we are here and we need to reach out and invite somebody into our lives, Father, Give us the courage, the wisdom to reach out and to ask for help. And if we've not known Jesus Christ, Father, if there are people here who do not know Jesus Christ, I pray that your spirit would so infect them that they would not leave this place without seeking some direction, either by talking to someone, by uh, putting a comment on a comment card to be, be connected with someone. Father, I pray that your spirit would pour out in a mighty way among this church, that we may be the fulfillment in you city and in this community, that they, the community will know we're Christians by our love. They'll be convinced of the truth of Jesus Christ by our unity. Father, we give you praise and honor and glory in the name of Jesus. Amen.